Well, good morning. This is the last morning of our Project 301 Focus and Emphasis. If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn them together to the book of Nehemiah. We'll be in chapter 5 in just a minute. And I, I have a couple of confessions to you this make, a couple of realizations to make this morning about, um, about things. One of those was yesterday. I got to go to my first Clemson game, and it was an absolute blast. It was, man, it's just, I thought we did football better in Texas, but man, the tradition and the pride and the winning was so incredible to watch. It was a lot of fun. But as a result of that, we got home last night, pulled into the house at about one in the morning. And so um, it, it was, you know, it's hard. It's, it's, it's a struggle to to celebrate a winner, you know? I mean, I understand. I guess I'm sympathetic to some of you now that I understand why you just roll in here on Sunday morning because you've been celebrating wins all weekend long and so forth. So anyway, the story goes to this though. So one in the morning, I was tired and set my alarm in the morning, kind of got to just plunge through it and so forth. And this morning, alarm went off. And when my alarm went, when the alarm went off, I thought to myself, I must have changed my alarm tone before I went to bed. I mean, I was kind of not paying attention to what was going on. I was just thinking, this is a very girly alarm tone. And so, I mean, I'm sitting there with my, my eyes open and realized, I don't, I don't think that's my alarm. It was my wife's alarm. And it went off at seven in the morning, which means my alarm had gone off. I had turned it off without ever waking up in that whole process. And I gotta be here to preach at 8 a.m. in the morning. So I got up and I was like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And so in 25 minutes, I showered, I shaved, I ironed, I got coffee and I got out the door and I made it here in the rain by eight o'clock. Please don't tell the 8 a.m. service that I, it was, there was that much hustle and bustle to get here. But I guess there was the sympathetic part that I understand the struggle that there is sometimes on Sunday morning to get things together and get things going and, and be here. So thanks for being here to worship this morning. I guess I say in a new fresh, fresh feeling this morning. It's great to worship with you um, this morning. So we've been in Nehemiah and this week we come to Nehemiah chapter five. And I wanna say as we begin, thank you so much for so many commitments that were made this past week. We look forward to more commitments coming in today. I know some of you placed at the offering plate here at the invitation in a moment. We'll have an opportunity for those of you that were out last week to bring your commitments here um, to our altar. If that's something that you would like to do, we would love for you to participate. God has blessed us. We can't wait to share uh, where we're at on commitments. We've already seen offerings coming in for this project. And so it's just such a blessing. It's so exciting to see what God's doing through us and what God's doing through you. Um, and so forth. So Nehemiah has been going through this journey of rebuilding the wall. And when we come to chapter five, uh, we realize that this has actually not been a quick journey. It's been about a 12 year journey. He gives us a little time frame on things. And for 12 years, this guy left the, the, the comforts of where he was and came to lead the city of Jerusalem to rebuild this wall. In chapter five, though, he begins to deal with some very personal things, some very, some very particular things within helping the people. And in verse 14, Nehemiah under the inspiration of the Spirit, but likely not realizing at that point that what the Holy Spirit was pressing upon his heart to write down would have been in the Word of God, in the Scriptures, years later for us to read. And so he just kind of shares a prayer before the Lord, an expression, we almost get a sense and a picture into what would have been maybe his prayer journal or his diary, something very personal about what this project meant to him and what this vision meant to him and what he specifically sacrificed to be a part of it. 
So I want you to draw your attention to Nehemiah chapter 5, and if you would look very closely at verse 14, stand in honor of God's word this morning. Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 14. Nehemiah writes this, likely not ever knowing that anyone would ever read this, he shares some of the own personal things that he went through in the rebuilding of the wall. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 22nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who had been before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall and acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six sheep, choice sheep, and birds, and every 10 days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on the people. Remember my good, oh my God, and all that I have done for this people. You can be seated. To get from vision accepted to vision accomplished requires sacrifice. Thus far in the story, we, we've seen the sacrifice of the people. We've seen people that bought into what God had laid upon the heart of Nehemiah to do. And we see these people jumping in. And in chapter 3, we saw an explanation of what so many different people from so many different backgrounds did and put in and served. We saw the opposition that comes up. The story's not done, but the wall is being complete. And the wall is getting done. And here in Nehemiah's story, here in verse 14, we see a personal sacrifice that Nehemiah made. You cannot accomplish God's will for your life, and we as a church can't accomplish God's will for us as a church if we do nothing. And if we're not willing to sacrifice something. Chapter 5 gives us a picture of what it took for Nehemiah as he rebuilt the walls. And it doesn't just share with us what he did, but it shows us a picture into what the heart of why he did what he did was. There was something that drove him to do what he did. Something that drove from the very beginning in chapter 1 to, to actually make the sacrifice and take the risk. There was something that drove every gift and every offering and every step of leadership that he took through leading these people to rebuild this wall. There was a heart behind it. There was grit to it. And he shows us that in this story. And so I want to look at that with you this morning. And one of the things that we see very clearly from the beginning is that Nehemiah was a man that denied himself. Nehemiah was so different than so many other rulers that preceded him. He was a man that took a high position and a high calling. And yet from that position and calling and the platform, he denied himself. In verse 14, he says... Neither I nor my brothers ate the, the food allowance of the governors. Now this is a summary, this statement is a summary of what took place over 12 years. And so for 12 years, Nehemiah operated in a way that would not have been expected. He was given the title of governor. 
which was, which was incredible. I mean, he was all of a sudden, went from a cupbearer to being a governor. He was given an incredible platform, and from that platform, he had the ability to lead the people. He had authority with him, but also with that platform came a lot of luxury. I mean, he was a governor. He was a king. He was a leader of people. And the governors before him had lived in that position with luxury and the, the benefit of that luxury is that the people paid for it. There were really two classes in the day, in that day. It would have been the upper class, those that ruled everything and controlled everything, and then it would have been everyone else who paid for the upper class to do everything that they did. So you had a wealthy class and you had a lower class. And the wealthy class was primarily made up of rulers and priests and kings and aristocrats and those who ran large companies and organizations, and then you had everyone else who worked for them. As we look at the beginning of chapter 5, we see that there was a lot happening. Number one, the, the, the Israelites, the nation, had been a, a beat-down nation, so the people had had everything taken from them for the most part. They were a weary and a broken people. And on top of that, the land was going through a famine, so food was scarce. So tough times got tougher. And those that had previously led the people had begun to oppress them. They had begun to take advantage of these marginalized people and place heavy tax upon them because just as the land was going through suffering, so were all these wealthy people going through suffering. And so in order to keep their lifestyle and their standard up to this level, they had to take from the poor. They had to take from the, 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 the regular people to keep that. Nehemiah stepped in, however, and did things differently. He was allowed to live luxurious, and the people would pay for it, but he didn't. He didn't tax the people like they had done in previous dreams. He had the right to. The precedent was set. The expectation was this new leader will do what the leaders had done years and decades before. But Nehemiah turned it. Verse 15, he tells us more about that. The former governors who were before me, they laid heavy burdens on the people. In other words, they put taxes upon these people and took them from them their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even the servants lorded over the people. It wasn't just these leaders and these previous governors. It was, they had a whole army of people that, that helped tax these people and laid these burdens. And these people also took advantage of these people. But I did not do so, Nehemiah says. He had the right. He had the freedom. He had the expectation, but he didn't. Rather, he gave up, and he denied himself his luxuries and rights in order to accomplish the vision God had put before him. And he tells us why. In verse 15, at the end of that verse, he explains, because of the fear of of God. Nehemiah did what he did because he feared God and he wanted to see what God wanted to see. He had surrendered his life to the calling God had placed upon him and the purpose God had put before him. And so whatever it took, whatever he must sacrifice, whatever he must give over to that task, he was willing to do because he revered and worshiped and honored and was sold out to God above all other things. Nothing was off the table for him. 
Jesus teaches us to do the same. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. This is called what Nehemiah does here, and what Jesus calls and enables us to do is called holiness. You see, holiness isn't just something that is limited to our moral behavior. Though it's not less than that, so often we look at holiness as that that means we need to live a certain way. We need to say certain things and not look at certain things and, and don't do certain things. We, we, we need to set our lives in order of, of righteousness and walking right with the Lord. And, and it's not less than that. It certainly includes that. But holiness is so much more than what you do and your behavior. Holiness literally means to be set apart. That you surrender the direction and purpose of your life. That you set yourself aside for the pleasure and purposes of Jesus. That no matter what, we are going to serve him. And if it pleases him, then it'll please me. Whatever, wherever, whenever, even if it hurts. Even if it means that I have to give up liberty, and I have to give up freedom, and I have to give up privilege, and I have to give up luxuries. I'm willing to do that for the purpose of serving my king and the purpose of accomplishing his purpose. Why? Because I fear him. Because I revere and respect and honor him. Nehemiah took that step of denial. John the Baptist says he must increase, I must decrease. Do you know that sometimes serving Jesus will mean that you're going to have to do what you don't want to do? And that what you're going to do is going to be something you don't like. But here's the reminder. It's not about you. It's not about me, and it wasn't about Nehemiah. He used his platform of governor, and from that platform, he began to deny himself for the sake of magnifying and advancing the kingdom of God and the call upon his life. How are you denying yourself your privileges, your right, your luxuries for the sake, your comfort for the sake of his call and purpose for your life. Church, how are we doing that? Denying ourselves. He denied himself, but it wasn't just that. Nehemiah dedicated himself. Nehemiah was dedicated to the work. Notice verse 16. I persevered in the work of this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. I persevered in the work. Nehemiah was sold out to the work. He was dedicated to the work. Now, he was given an important position, and he had, with that important position, a really important job description and many things that needed to be accomplished. There was an expectation of him as governor to rule and reign and to make certain decisions and to lead certain directions. But Nehemiah used that position and remained dedicated to the work. And he was serious about the work. He gives an example. He says this, that I acquired no land. Now, 
At, at a first glance and a first look at that, you, it, it may mean, well, he was so busy. He, he got so busy and was focused, and so he didn't worry about kind of setting up a, a homestead for himself. He, got, he just, just immersed himself in the work, and so he could have spent some time, you know, buying the home, building the house, you know, getting a nice spread where they could do Thanksgiving meal, his family, and his kids and his grandkids can su- come. But it was more than that for Nehemiah. It wasn't just that he didn't, he didn't set up a, an estate for himself. They didn't have a vacation home or something like that. It was more than that. In fact, that's not what it was at all. Nehemiah had power and resources. As you look at the beginning of chapter 5, you see that the people were so poor that they, those that owned land were having to sell their land off just so that they could eat. In the years that preceded this, their land had basically been taken away, and some of them had bought it back, and some of them had worked to, to acquire for themselves land, but it was a time of, of vulnerability for everybody. And so everybody's land was up for sale. It was a buyer's market there in Jerusalem and Judea. And so a man with enough income like he had, and power like he had, and pull like he had, could have used the opportunity to make a great name for himself to acquire a lot for pennies on the dollar. And there would have been a benefit to that because as he's using his wealth to buy land from these people, he's actually providing for these people. He's giving them income. He's just taking advantage of the situation that benefits him. But at the same time, he can look at that in a good light because people are getting their income back on that land, some of it, so that they can feed their families and take care of their families. And at the very least, they're not having to sell their kids off into slavery like some of them were doing. So Nehemiah could have painted this many, many ways. He could have also painted it from this way. I have money, I have position, I have power, and this land has been taken of us. So I'm going to use my money, position, and power to buy back all this land for these people. And I'm going to start acquiring land. So this is now our land again. And then one by one, family by family, tribe by tribe, I'm going to start giving it back to these people or selling it to them for a very small amount of money so that we can, we can begin to reestablish ourselves in this. But he says, I bought and acquired no land. I think there might be a number of reasons why Nehemiah did that. One of those would have been, because that's not the way that God intended. This was God's land. He had given this land for the people. And if they were going to get it back, God was going to give it back to them. They had done too many years and too many decades of trying to do things on their own. And so I think there was probably a very real sense that Nehemiah said, if God wants us to have this land back, God's going to give this land back to us. And also, Nehemiah had been given a very clear vision, build the wall. And so he dedicated him to that. He focused on that. God will worry about the land. God will take about the land. God will probably call someone else to get the land back. My job, my vision, what God's given me to do is rebuild the wall. And so I remained dedicated to that. And I used my resources, and I used my people, and I used my services, he says here in verse 16, for that work. So every day, Nehemiah got up probably checked off the boxes of being governor that day, handled the issues he needed to, and he and his men went out with the people and they rebuilt the wall together. All throughout the story, we don't see Nehemiah say they, we see Nehemiah use over and over and over the first person plural pronoun, we, we built the wall, we took it up, 
we did this. Nehemiah shares also in areas what things that he did, how he used his position to get people in place. There are a lot of good and noble things that Nehemiah could have done as governor. But rather than those things, he got his men up every day and they went to work on the wall. He spent his life on something that could never pay him back. And he missed out on opportunities that other governors had had because he was willing to do God's will and God's way, even if it meant it would cost him. It reminds me of a couple thousand years later, a group of men who dedicated themselves to something. They were given authority, they were given power, and they were given a job to do. It's just a handful of men. And it tells us in Acts chapter 5, verse 42, what they did every day in the temple and from house to house. They did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They remained dedicated to the task. There is a lack of dedication in the DNA of the modern Christian today. We've seen it before, the strength and dedication in generations that have preceded us. And some of you in this room for that reason, for that are part of that generation. But over the years, a dedication has missed away. We have so many commitments and so many obligations and so many things that we need to do and we need to accomplish. There's just not time. You heard it mentioned in the video that the most valuable commodity that we have, the most important thing that we can give is time. And we wonder why we're so weak and we wonder why we're not making the difference that generations in the past have made in this world. And it's not just to pick upon our church, it's to pick on all of us as believers and followers of Christ. It's because we've trained and we've expected half-hearted commitment. He denied himself, he dedicated himself, and he also gave of himself. In verse 17, Nehemiah shares what he gave, what it cost him. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, those who came to us from the nations that were around us also. And now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds in every Ten days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on the people. So Nehemiah gives us a picture of this. He mentioned earlier that he didn't demand, he didn't, he didn't take upon the, the food allowance in verse 14. And here's what that meant for him. And he explains that here in verse 17 and 18. As a governor, Nehemiah had to take care of a lot of people. Part of his annual budget of being a governor meant that he had to entertain people and that he had to take care of those that worked for him. And so he says, every day, I had to feed 150 people. And on top of that, they were made up of Jews and they were made up of officials. I had to take care of these people that worked for the government. I had to pay them, I had to feed them, 
had to care for them. And then on a regular basis, because we're a nation, because we're a city, we, we had to entertain other nations. And so there were dignitaries that would come. There would, there would be meetings that would be had, and there would be conferences and so forth. I mean, Nehemiah, you, you understand that, that those who rule a lot of people are, are involved in a lot of things, and it costs a lot of money to do that. All of those that do that in our land, in our day and time, have a budget that enables them to do sorts of things like travel and meet and entertain those that they would need to entertain for the purpose of forwarding the agenda and forwarding and benefiting the people. So it was a necessary commodity. And so Nehemiah was allowed an allowance for that. Like his budget had allocated in it the ability to take care of these people and to have these meetings. But Nehemiah says, I did not take that allowance. What did that mean? That this daily food and these meetings that took place, Nehemiah paid for out of his own pocket. Rather than taking from these people, I did some budget cuts and I got a hacksaw out and we started slashing out. And you know what? It was uncomfortable because it cost me my own income. I paid for these things. Why? Well, he explains it. The end of verse 18. Because the service was too heavy on this people. Nehemiah gave of himself not just because of his fear of God, but he gave of himself because he cared and loved the people. He loved God and God loved other people. Nehemiah was reversing the trend that these people who had over decades been marginalized and enslaved and oppressed, Nehemiah was doing from his vantage point what he could do to help these people. He used his platform, his position, and his power in helping people. He gave of himself. He poured of himself. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, at the end of his life, I am already being poured out like a drink offering. Nehemiah was willing to pour himself out and to make sacrifice and to give of himself for the good and for the sake of the people. You see, for Nehemiah, it was never just about the wall. Nehemiah's vision wasn't just to build a wall. Nehemiah's vision had true grit and real heart. There was a reason behind the reason. The wall represented something, but there was something deeper. There was roots to this wall. There was a reason why he was willing to sacrifice and he was willing to go and he was willing to give. And it boiled down to two things. And I want you to hear this very clearly, church and follower of Christ. The two reasons behind why Nehemiah denied and gave of himself and dedicated himself was ultimately simply this. He feared God and he loved people. He feared God. He says it here in this verse. He also calls the other leaders in chapter 5 to the same task. In verse 6, verse 9, he says this, the thing you're doing is not good. Ought you not walk in the fear of God? Nehemiah was dedicated to the glory of God. He cared about the name of God and the purpose of God and the will of God. And so whatever it cost him, whatever it took, he was willing to do. He dedicated himself to this task, not to make a name for himself, but to make a name for God. He dedicated himself to this, not so that he would be something, so that God could display himself as something in this world. 
why he gave. That's why he sacrificed. Because of his fear, his reverence, his love, his worship of God. And I want you to understand something. If that's not the reason we do what we do, we're doing it for the wrong reasons. If the reason you come to church is for you or for some other reason or to make somebody happy, you're here for the wrong reason. If the reason that we step off is to make life comfortable for us and if the reason we venture into something is to make something great for us, then it's for the wrong reason. If the reason that you get up every day and you go to work and you do your job and you live your life is for your comfort and your family, then you're missing something there. We, We do this for the glory and name of God. I mean, that, that's why this church exists, not for us, but for him. The fear of God, but also the love of the people. It was in chapter 1, verse 2, when Nehemiah asked about the people. It was the problem of the people. It was the oppression of the people. It was the hurt of the people that drove him to weep and mourn the name of God, but also the people. And we see him leading the people all throughout. In chapter 3, in chapter 2, in chapter 4, it's all about the people. In verse five, in chapter 6, he's broken and he's angered because of the oppression of the people. It bothered him to action so that he called these governors and these other leaders to do something about it and correct them. And Nehemiah's generosity we see here, and Nehemiah's sacrifice, and Nehemiah's giving, giving of himself is just as he said, in verse 18, because the service was too heavy on the people. Remember what I have done. Remember for my good, O God, all that I have done for this people. The fear of God and the people. Nehemiah built a wall, but the wall wasn't what he was after. Nehemiah's legacy wasn't a wall. It was people. He cared about people because God cared about people. And if God wanted him to build the wall, for the people, then he was willing to do that and give whatever it took to get it done. It reminds me of something that Jesus taught a few years after this and a few thousand years ago. An attorney came up to Jesus. Matthew records it, Luke also records it. Someone came up to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, listen, I've been a good dude. I have been so good. I've been doing the right thing. Hey, what would you say is, uh, is the greatest commandment in all of the Bible? You know, I'm a guy that deals with law and rules. So what do you say is number one, Jesus? What's the greatest commandment of all in all of the law? And what did Jesus say? Matthew 22 records it. He says, listen, here's the greatest commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your Strength, soul, might, and mind. Love him. Wow. I, I, but wait, wait, there's, there's another one, and it's just as good. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says this, on these two things, on these two laws, hang all of it. 
You want to rewind, you want the cliff notes on the Old Testament and the Old Testament law. It sums down to this, love God and love people. Put God first and put other people first. Second, love them. Love them as yourself. Love God above all things. That was what Jesus calls us to do. From day one, from Genesis 1, God loves people, which is why he created people. And God wants his name glorified. And God wants people loving him. And so he puts that command upon us. He puts that responsibility. You love me first. And you love other people. That is the reason behind the reason. That's what drove Nehemiah. And listen today, church, that's what drives us. Because that's what drives our leader. That's what drives the head of the church, Jesus Christ. His love for his father. He left heaven because his father desired him to do. And why did his father desire him to do that? Because he loved people. And so Jesus took upon himself the command to love my God, my father, with everything that's in me, no matter what it costs. If I've got to deny myself, if I've got to give myself, if I've got to dedicate myself, I'll do that for the sake and the glory of the name of my father. And so he did. And because his father was driven by love, Jesus was driven by love. First John 3, 16, he gave his self. He gave of him life. He laid down his life. He gave it. Why? Because he loves people. And he calls us to do the same. The Father and the people are the reason why we are here. The reason why there's a building here, 301 South Davidson Street. To glorify the name of our Father, and to reach the people He loves. So I want you to understand something. Ultimately, it is not about new carpet and paint. That, that's honestly, that, that's so meaningless to a large degree. If it's just so that we can have a pretty building and a pretty place and and it doesn't look like it did 30 years ago, then we have totally missed it. And God is not going to bless it. Ultimately, what we've got to be about is people. Jesus, Matthew chapter 9, looked at the crowd and he saw them through the eyes of compassion. I mean, deep within, these people were harassed and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And that's what drove Jesus. Because listen, still today, God cares about people and so should we. We are his church. This is not my church, and this is not your church. This is his church, and he is about people. And so we must be about people. It's about him and his glory, his name, and about the people he wants for himself. People are re the reason behind the plan. People are the real blueprints. Let me say this very clearly. People are the bylaws. People are the Constitution. People are the vision of the church. That's what we are about, the glory of God and the people he is after. And if we miss that, then we have missed it all. 
And if we're not willing to give to that, if we're just trying to make our lives and our positions more comfortable and better and get something in it for ourselves, then we're missing out. Because God didn't call us to make our lives comfortable. God didn't call us to do something for ourselves. He called us to do something for His glory, His name, and the people He loves. So deny yourself, dedicate yourself, and be willing to give of yourself for what he has denied himself and dedicated himself and given of himself for. And God will use it. Let's pray. Or would you remove from ourselves, would you help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to remove a, a what's-in-it-for-me attitude and to remove the sin of selfishness. And may we follow the example of selflessness of Jesus. All around us in this world and in this community, there are people that you love, that your son died for. Their problems are great, and the darkness is real, and the enemy has such a deep grip upon them. And you have called us to glorify you, and you have tasked us in glorifying you. The, uh, the duty and the job of to loving them like you love them. And so, Lord, in the years and in the days, and teach us to do that. Teach us to do that in the neighborhood around us and the family that we're within. Teach us to do that as a church in the community and in the city that we're in. And Lord, make us a church that is about Jesus and about the people he died for. And I pray, Lord, that each one of us, day to day, be willing to make that denial and be willing to make that dedication and be willing to give of ourselves for the sake of your name and your glory and the people that need you. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray.